Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, June 22nd edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke, joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to talk some NHL playoffs. We'll talk the Travelers Championship up at TPC River Highlands in Connecticut. And then we'll take a look at NASCAR real quickly as we have a very interesting scheduling quirk here for this weekend that Brian and I can discuss well in advance of the races, plural, at Pocono. Over at ATS.io, lots of great stuff for you to check out. Make sure you head over there and look at my daily MLB article. Four suggested picks in today's article for the MLB card. Lots of stuff to talk about, obviously, as there always is. So you can go check out that article over at the website. Did a preview of the Travelers Championship yesterday. You check that out over there as well. We got our talented cast of writers covering the NHL, NBA playoffs, WNBA. I'll be writing up a UFC preview for this weekend. And also take a look at that doubleheader at Pocono. So lots of stuff for you to check out over at the website. Then, of course, make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, full article integration from the website, lots of helpful handicapping tools and resources at your fingertips with that ATS app. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Mr. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? Another day at the beach, Adam. You know, it's a goldenized game day, so we got a lot of stuff going on uh, here in Vegas leading up to the hockey game. So looking forward to that coming off. I'll tell you, Monday was a weird day. It was like, it was like a letdown. You had the U.S. Open and all the great stuff that happened on the weekend. You got to Monday. There was no NBA game. It was kind of weird. We've had so much stuff for so long. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe nice to get a little bit of a breather. I think there were only eight or nine MLB games on Monday, too. So a pretty light card, to say the least. But, you know, we get the NBA back tonight. We get that Vegas game tonight. And, of course, a full slate on the diamond. Let's go ahead and talk about that Montreal and Vegas series, Brian. And, Before we get into tonight's game specifically, Vegas well over a $2 favorite once again, total of five in that one. The series is tied two to two. The two games up at the Bell Center both went to overtime. The last three games have been all one goal games after Vegas' four to one win in game one. Thoughts so far on the series here, Brian? Well, Vegas is doing what Vegas does that I think a lot of people don't you know, I have the luxury of watching them every day. Their offense goes through long stretches of Mojave desert-like droughts, and that's where they are again. And the only goals they're getting basically are coming from the blue line. And you're going against a goalie like Carey Price for starters, but getting by Montreal for starters, a best of three, they got to figure this out. And then when you get to the final, if their forwards don't get it going, they're in trouble. But they basically should have won game three. Fleury made a mistake and gave the puck away. And they were in deep trouble in game four, tied it late, and then won it on the first shift of overtime. So the one thing you can say about Vegas, and I think it's the best thing you can say about Vegas, is they are a resilient team. They dig down deep. They find ways, and a lot of times it's not pretty. That game the other night, it kind of mirrored game three in the Colorado series. They're down 2-0. They come home. They're down a goal with five minutes to go. Bam, bam, got two goals in 45 seconds, one, and then they go and sweep the abs. So they know how to 
you know, get off the banana peel and get going again. It's just there's long stretches where you go, man, this is weird. But DeBoer deserves a lot of credit, man. He sticks his neck out and he goes to Leonard in game four and Leonard responds. And it's funny, had a healthy debate with the, several people doing the Vegas Hockey Island show yesterday. Oh, you got to go back to Flurry. And I'm like, well, you, none of you guys are my coach. I mean, this this guy, you know, played great off the shelf, gets you off the schneid there, gets you home, turns it into a best of three. He played great, and possibly now it's a guy that maybe is in Montreal's head a little bit. And if fatigue was the factor and the reason that they said Flurry, then give him a few more days rest. And if it doesn't work out with Leonard tonight, then you can go back to Flurry. But I would firmly envision Leonard's the guy tonight. You know, I think something that's been really interesting in this series, and I'm sure it's been talked about a lot, and, and maybe I just haven't heard enough of it, but with the exception of game three, I mean, Vegas has been really bad in the first period of almost every one of these games. I mean, they didn't have a single high danger chance at five on five in regulation in game four. So they got very lucky to win that game in and of itself. But in terms of the high danger chances in the first two games, Montreal had a 15 to two edge in the first period of the first two games. Vegas had four, a four to one advantage in game three and a five Oh Montreal advantage in game four. Why is this team getting off to so many bad starts in the first period, Brian? It's just happening every game and they keep saying, we know we have to be better at the start and every game at the start, they're not there. It's, it's just been the norm for them. I mean, I guess, if Montreal is a big dog in the game, they're going to be a big dog in the first period. Maybe that's the way you go because Vegas has just been coming out of the gate slow. I think maybe with Leonard in the big crowd, you know, Vegas can flip a switch and, and really get going against a Montreal team that's playing their lungs out. But I don't know the Montreal can play any better than they played in game four. And it wasn't enough, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that that's been a, common theme and the and the fact remains Vegas keeps trying to skate through these guys with fancy plays if they from the start of games and maybe there's the solution for them I just don't understand why they don't do it is right out of the gate get the red line get the puck deep get the lead if you play with the lead and make the Canadians chase then the transition game would open up Vegas has this mindset um, you know that they're this good that you know, the fancy stuff will work. Well, Montreal is a team that tries to take that away from you and then gets you in a counter punch. So Vegas, the adjustment they got to make is to start dumping the puck in from the beginning of the game, play from in front, and then look out. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a really strong ad- adjustment to make, especially because then you can kind of punish the defenseman a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that I, I think would be nice to see them do, and, and I guess to a degree they've kind of done it, you know, Jeff Petrie is not 100% for Montreal. I mean, he's been pretty good in the three games that he's played. Obviously, his return in game two was very important, played well in game three also. Beat him up, you know, beat up the other guys that kind of took on a little bit more responsibility in the previous series, you know, especially, you know, in the second round when Petrie was out for a little bit. I don't know why Vegas doesn't do that. I mean, it, it, and especially too, you know, it's something that allows you to simplify your game a little bit I know you've been critical of them for this, where they try to score the pretty goal, the highlight real goal, and all of that. You know, a lot of times in the playoffs, 
you don't get the highlight real goals. You get the ugly, gritty kinds of goals. And the Islanders are still here because they get a lot of those types of goals. So I think that you definitely have to look for Vegas to hopefully make some adjustments here tonight, hopefully play well in the first period. And if they do, they should take care of business here tonight. But with that being said, I mean, they're anywhere from minus 230 to minus 250 out there in the market for tonight's game, Brian. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Boston, the Islanders got no respect against Boston. Montreal's got no respect against these guys. His numbers are massively inflated. Um, and Carey Price can win the game himself. And, you know, he can steal a game. So, yeah, there's no way you're laying that number with Vegas. The only way you're playing Vegas is possibly on the puck line. But as you said, these games are a nail-biter and a coin flip and overtime is certainly in the realm of possibility. Um, it, you know, if you want to go the total route, if Leonard plays the way he played the other night, then there's no way this game approaches five. You know, it's another 2-1 game. I mean, to me, I think it's one of those games where you start with a Montreal pregame position, especially because they've played so well in the first period throughout the series. And maybe you look for a spot to live bet Vegas, because as you said, Vegas seems to get that first goal and all of a sudden everything changes for them. And they can be a quick strike offense in that regard. So probably start with Montreal for the full game. Take that big plus money price. Look for Vegas live if you get an opportunity at some sort of better number. Maybe Montreal gets an early power play, you know, or something like that. But yeah, I I agree. I, I don't know how you could lay this Vegas number with how tight this series has been. And statistically, it's been very tight as well. It's not even like, you know, we have some sort of situation where Vegas has gotten unlucky or something to that degree. Montreal has just played really well in this series, and, and there's a reason why. It's tied at 2-2 two to two here. As we take a look at the other series, Brian, uh, like you said, you know, Monday kind of a letdown coming off the U.S. Open, not a whole lot of stuff on the board. And then Tampa Bay wins 8 to nothing over the Islanders takes a three to two lead in that series. And, you know, otherwise may have been a very tight series with the three, one goal games, Tampa Bay, one game, two, four to two Uh, last night, just not New York's night. Semyon Varlamov pulled early in the first period. Ilya Sorokin just didn't play very, very well in that game. Tampa Bay just kind of kept coming. And also the Islanders, I mean, look, if you're going to lose a playoff game, I'd much rather lose eight, nothing than losing double overtime or something like that. No, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you just draw a line through it. It was a disaster. The one thing that uh, we got to watch for here, Baldur's all got booted out of the game with a hit from behind. And we got to see if player safety gets involved. And if Barzal doesn't go, that's a big loss from the Islanders. But I find it hard to believe. And Tampa's on a mission. They're playing great. But in front of that crowd, a Barry Trotz coach team, it's not going to shock me if they bounce back with a really big effort. I mean, that was the first period was just a train wreck for the Islanders and they, they never recovered. So, you know, if they can just hang around in the beginning and it's usually the road team survived the first 10 minutes, the Islanders just got to get in the flow of the game and not play from behind uh, after 20 minutes. And then I think it's a game, you know, and I think something that's really interesting about this series too. And, you know, we always have the, the analytics versus the eyes and, and all that kind of discussion here on the show, but up until last night's game, I mean, this was a very, very even series. And and the fact that the Islanders, who don't really have as many big offensive guns as the Lightning, don't really have that transition game from the back end or anything like that. The fact that New York was right there at five on five in this series, 
I think speaks to how not only how good Barry Trotz is, but also how good this team plays within this system. And Tampa Bay is a team that plays very well within their system as well. It's just that the Islanders have been a counterpunch team. They've found a way to you know really hang in there with a more skilled, probably faster team than them. And you do have to think that you know the Islanders will not be an easy out in game six because really nothing in this series suggests that you know Tampa Bay has, has clearly been the better team. Again, you know, the first period, it, it just imploded on the Islanders. And this is not the way they play. I mean, Tampa Bay got a goal 45 seconds into the game or whatever it was. But in the first period alone, they must have had, and I'm not kidding, seven, eight, nine odd man rushes. And they just kept racking up goal after goal after goal. And the Islanders just completely got away from everything they do that they do well. So it it was just a disaster. It was a nightmare. But in some respects, like you said, better to get it destroyed like that than lose a grisly heartbreaker and you come back with a sense of purpose know what you did wrong with a little stone in your shoe so i mean the islanders basically sit back and counterpunch. don't try to get it's one thing to try to go back and forth with boston who's top heavy but to go back and forth with tampa bay anybody on that line anybody on that team um, you know can light the lamp on you so well, and I think something else about this game, too. I mean, Tampa Bay, three power play goals. The Islanders were obviously frustrated. They tried to, you know, make the game ugly, kind of deal some punishment where they could. And, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, the hit from behind from Barzal. We'll see if there's any kind of supplemental discipline from the NHL. And if there is, I mean, you know, we talk about what happened to the Jets when Mark Scheifele went out after that, you know, major interference penalty in game one of that series against the Canadians. If Barzal is out for game six, I mean, the Islanders have very little offense because he's been far and away the best offensive threat for them in this series. So that would be a massive suspension if it ends up happening. I don't know if it will. But right now, Tampa Bay in the minus 150 to minus 160 range, that number goes up probably a quarter, if not more, if if Barzal is out of this game. But something I think is really interesting to take a look at in game six if the Islanders have everybody, is that, look, he didn't look good in game five, but Varlamov not playing the full 60 minutes could end up being a blessing in disguise for the Islanders here for game six. Yeah, again, I'm not holding Varlamov's feet to the flame. Like I said, they got a a goal right out of the gate. The second goal, the defenseman's trying to break up a two-on-one, and it goes off the defenseman and in. It, it was just a perfect storm of disaster for the Islanders. I'm not worried about Varlamov back, bouncing back. I mean, when this guy's on, he's been as good as anybody in the postseason. I, I think, I really do, I think you just draw a line through it. You know, it, it's one of those things It happened. And you, know, you say to yourself, do you see any way the Islanders can come back and win the series? And the answer to me is I, I believe they still can. You know, first things first, you, you got to hold serve and get it to a game seven. I'm not going to overreact to what happened in game five. So what do you do? I mean, let, let's assume that Barzal is going to play because I, I'd be surprised if he gets suspended. It, it seemed like it was kind of more of an unfortunate incident than anything else. But let's assume he plays here. I mean, are are you on the Islanders to send this thing to a game seven? I would I think the one thing that I'd be convinced of if the Islanders are going to be competing in the game is it's, it's low scoring. 
So if I'm if I'm believing in the Islanders, I think the total is the safer way to go. And you know, and if Barzal's out and they're competing, and you're absolutely looking at the under. The thing is, it's five and a half under forty five. You almost have to do the fi- under five, you know, and get the slight plus prices instead of laying that kind of juice. Anything else you want to talk about on the NHL front before we switch over to golf? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we got these four teams fighting it out, but believe me, the clock's ticking on either the Jack Eichel trade and who's involved in that in Anaheim. uh, This word now, Columbus is really making uh, the big push to be part of this. And probably Rick Tockett's going to get the job in Seattle or probably the news and notes around the NHL. Yeah, definitely. A lot of stuff going on with free agency. You've got, you know, another expansion draft coming up with Seattle and all that. So plenty of stuff on the radar for the offseason. I'm sure that's a lot of stuff you guys will talk about on Vegas Hockey Hotline. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, today, uh, Dave Gosher, who's the Golden Knights play-by-play man, but, you know, when you get to the playoffs, it goes to the networks. He's actually calling the Islanders Tampa Bay Series for uh, Sirius XM NHL Network. So, Dave Gosher joins us today, 1 o'clock Pacific time. There's a listen live function, KSHP.com. So should get a pretty good breakdown on both series with Dave Gosher today with Stevie Slapshot. So that should be fun. All right, so let's talk the Travelers Championship here. And, you know, this tournament, it's always interesting to see the, the quality of the field for this event. I mean, it typically follows the U.S. Open. And there are a lot of guys that want to stay sharp because the Open Championship is coming up. But usually... You know, the U.S. Open on the East Coast somewhere, at least maybe in the Midwest, something like that. But a lot of guys making that trek from San Diego up to the Hartford area, Cromwell, Connecticut, for the Travelers Championship here at TPC River Highlands. Before we dig into some players that we like, a quick overview of the course here. This is a short course. I believe this is the second shortest course of the usual PGA Tour rotation on the schedule. Uh, It's only 6,840 or so yards. It is a par 70, so this one doesn't really have a distance bias to it, although Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson are your two favorites, 12-1 to and 13-1 to respectively. But Brian, you know, this is one where, as I said, we don't have that distance bias. The thing that's kind of concerning for me this week in terms of finding players to pick is that guys that play really well here have also played really well lately. So there's this convergence of the course form guys and the recent form guys. Brian Harmon's played well lately, plays very well here. Kevin Streelman, four top 20 finishes, plays very well here. So there are some guys that are usually kind of in that 60, 70 to one range that find themselves in the 30s or the 40s this week because they play well here and they're also playing well overall. Yeah, and then again, the week after a major, you know, how jacked are all these guys, some of the big-name guys. But you mentioned a number of the guys. Bubba Watson plays really well here. He's actually playing some pretty good golf right now. Streelman plays well here. Uh, DeChambeau off the back 944, he'll be motivated. That was so odd to watch. He did. He got some bad breaks, and it all started with his foot slipped on 13. I mean, honestly, DeChambeau was on his way to winning the thing. And his, his foot slipped on the tee shot on 13, and that hole just killed him. Um, you mentioned like Bubba, well, what's his name? Streelman is a guy that really, really plays well here. You know, who actually plays well here has a couple of wins. He's got four career wins 
and he's playing good golf is Stuart Sink at 90 to 1. It's not a long course. A guy like Kevin Na at 70 to 1. Maybe you could take a peek at, and it is a great putter. And the one guy I'll take a swing with here, he ended up shooting 76 on Sunday. And I imagine he's probably pretty ticked off about it. But Ian Poulter was playing really, really well at the U.S. Open. And he imploded on the back nine Sunday. But don't forget, every time Ian Poulter is teeing it up, he's trying to make a case to Padraig Harrington in a Ryder Cup year. And whenever Poulter's back's against the wall and he needs to do something because something's on the line, remember when he won Houston? It was the last tournament. He had to win in Houston to get to the Masters, and he did it. I I think Ian Poulter's a guy you could look long and hard at this week. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is, you know, I think you can kind of look around the board a little bit here because we don't have that distance bias on this course. Stuart Singh, a guy I mentioned in both of my previews, not taking him this week, but, yeah, in that 85, 90 to 1 range, playing very, very well, to say the least. There are a couple of guys I am taking a look at here this week. In terms of the short prices, I would love to bet Paul Casey because he's got four top five finishes here, but at 16 to 1, I can't do it. One guy that I can take, though, Abraham answer at 28 to one, you know, back-to-back top 11 finishes here, or at least in 2018 uh, and 2019, I think a guy that's playing very well, a guy that can putt very well, which is important here because a lot of guys are going to get GIRs. They're going to hit greens in regulation. It's going to be about who makes those birdie putts and who two putts for a par. So if answer's got the flat stick going, I do like him. Maybe that's why you mentioned Kevin Na at 85 to one here. Another guy I like who's pretty far down the board though, 95 to one, what I'm seeing over at FanDuel, Brendan Todd is a guy that maybe isn't in the greatest of form, but he was in the final pairing with Dustin Johnson last year when DJ won this event. Todd wound up finishing 11th, but he's a fairways and greens kind of guy, pretty good putter, a guy that's going to struggle on some of those long distance courses, but at a place like TPC River Highlands, he's a guy that can very much be in play at 95 to one. Throw out a couple of really long shot names for you. Ryan Moore is a guy that plays well here. Uh, he had, I think, four top tens, uh, maybe like 2008 to 2013, something like that. He's 190 to one. And then David Lipsky is 210 to one. And I mentioned David Lipsky for the Palmetto Championship. He had four top 25s on the European Tour over his last six events before he came stateside. Picked up a top 10 at the Palmetto, finished eighth, I think. 210 to one at a course like this with a field where you kind of wonder who's fully invested and who isn't. I'll take a guy over 200 to one. That's in pretty good form. Oh no. Hey, listen, you, you can swing for a guy like that. And that's all you want to do is get in the hunt. And then, then you, you reload on Friday night. And once you, you get a look at what they're doing, I'll throw one more at you that from a price thing, you know, the answer and Abraham answer thing. And what's his name? Scotty Scheffler. I mean, these guys are sitting there, and we keep waiting. I mean, you know the skill set's there, but it's like you're chasing and chasing and chasing. It's like, at what point, you know, do they finally step up and kick the door down? A guy that I think you're giving me double the price on him, the way the course sets up, and if putting becomes a real thing, you know, getting Cam Smith in the 55, 60 to 1 range, I would most assuredly be on him over Scheffler or answer just on the price alone. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I mean, Cam Smith price, you know, around there's some interesting guys in that 60 to 70 to one range. I mean, Doc Redman played really well here last year. Ricky Fowler is actually playing well again. And, and, and by the way, he found out this week, he's going to be a father in oh, November. Oh yeah. That's so that's, Usually it's when the guy has the baby, but maybe there's the he found out he's gonna have a baby angle. Yeah, no, there's a good one. Ricky at sixty five to one. I mean, Garrett Higo is seventy to one in this was, field. Thank Justin you, Rose. Thank you. I'm glad. One. I'm glad you mentioned Higo because I was gonna say when you're talking about current form. Okay, he's played two PGA Tour regular events, and you know he's won one of the two. And the only other two tournaments that Higo's played stateside were the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open. So. Basically, you're looking at he goes one for one in a PGA Tour event. I mean, Sam Burns' recent winner. I think he won. Was it the Valspar? Maybe he's seventy to one. Mark Leishman's won here before. I think he's seventy-five to one. I mean, there's a lot of guys. You know, off of the you know on the second page, we'll call it of the odds board. That I mean, you could make a lot of cases for them and. Obviously, you can make a case for a guy like Patrick Cantlay. I mean, he plays well here. He won the Memorial. He wouldn't have if John Robb didn't get COVID, but he did win the Memorial. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys this week that I feel like you can take a look at, make a case for. But, you know, as you mentioned, I think you kind of look a little bit more the price-dependent route this week because, you know, there's any number of guys that could find themselves in the final groups on Sunday. No, it'd be a fun event again. And then we're, we're pointing towards the British open and the Ryder cup. So golf's in a great place, boy. I'll tell you, it's been a great season. Yeah, it really has. Absolutely has. You got anything. I know you like to look at the European tour. Uh, they got the BMW international. And in fact, Victor Hovland is over in that Louis Oosthuizen over in that one, Sergio Garcia as well. Seeing some guys kind of getting themselves prepared and pointed uh, for Royal St. George here for the open championship. Hovland is plus 650 at FanDuel for the BMW International. Louis 7-1, to one, Garcia 10-1. to one. Means you got some decent prices out there on some of the other guys in the field. Hovland, um, I would say keep tabs on that because he had to withdraw from the U.S. Open. It was a weird one. I think it was on the practice range. He, he had, you know, warming up, he hit a shot and either a, a little pebble or something came up, hit him in the eye. And he had to withdrew, uh, withdraw. So... I would at least keep tabs on that. I think Louie's playing great, but man, I mean, that had to exact a toll on him. Uh, quick scan at it. I know I put you on the spot. No, no, no. I I'm just I I like believe, the European tour. I know you like, I love it. No, I love it. And I, I will start diving into it a little bit. Um, you know, the kitty, I'm a kid at 50 to one, uh, is every blue moon real dangerous. Uh, the BMW, I'm, and I'm assuming is it, Usually the BMW, is that in England? Where is that? Uh, let's see. The BMW International is in uh, Germany. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that makes sense, kind of, doesn't it? Well, uh, it's in Munich. Hmm. I'm scanning through it. I mean, to, to have somebody that would jump off the page, well, Keimer at 25 to 1. Obviously, you could take a pick on him. And, and Wiesberger, the Austrian, at 25 to 1. The the Rasmus Hogard kid's kind of gone quiet for a little while, but he had been winning really, you know, he was contending almost every week. I think you could look at Hogard at 66 to 1 and the John Caitlin kid, I believe he's an American, and I believe he's recently won. Another guy you could look at. I'm a big Eddie Pepperell fan. Every blue moon he shows up, but 
I'd probably land somewhere with, I'll go with maybe with uh, Kitayama and Caitlin would be the two I would maybe take a little swing at. Yeah, and of course, again, some of these guys kind of setting themselves up for the Open Championship, which is, uh, what, mid-July uh, at Royal St. George. So it'd be good to get that one back. Uh, let's talk NASCAR real quickly here. And we don't have to dig oh, too – go ahead. You know, you know, one thing I honestly – it was driving me insane because I knew there was another guy, another guy that I'd already made a few small bets on for the golf. And I'm my stupid phone, I'm loading the app. It's the wheels spinning. I'm going, come on, come on, come on. And, of course, as soon as we get off the Travelers, it pops up. I played Poulter at 85. I took a little, another little small play with, on Higo at 70. Uh, the guys we talked about, I think, you know, a guy like Nah, uh, those guys are interesting. But the other guy that can put lights out, and I, can you explain this to me? Why is Adam Hadwin 170 to 1? I saw that. I took a little shot at Adam Hadwin, the Canadian. Yeah, again, I mean, this is the kind of event where, you know, a lot of guys can come into play. You know, if they putt really well, if they're playing well with their irons and their wedges, you know, if you hit fairways. I mean, strokes gained off the tee, very important at the Travelers. It's not distance. It's putting the ball where you need to off the tee in order to hit these greens and give yourself close proximity to the hole. So a lot of different guys. Sorry about that. I Okay. I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to knuckleball you, but I'd have been kicking myself because I, I just get kept saying, I know there's another guy. There's another guy, and I'm, and yeah, I, Adam Hadwin. I don't, you know, how's he not like 60, 70 to one? Why is he 170 to one? Did he, is he, you know, is he playing on Tiger Woods' broken leg at Torrey Pines? I, you know, I don't know. On the U.S. Open, I saw Hadwin pouring putts in. Well, definitely a lot of players under consideration here for that. And, Let's talk about NASCAR for a few minutes because this is an interesting weekend and we don't have to go too deep dive with the handicap or anything like that, but it's a double header at Pocono Raceway. So we've got a race on Saturday in the afternoon and a race on Sunday in the afternoon. So obviously do your handicapping due diligence, but you're going to find a guy on Saturday who either runs better than his finish or gets unlucky, something like that, that maybe you can come back on on Sunday and also on the flip side, if somebody wrecks out on Saturday, has to go to the backup car on Sunday, maybe that's a matchup angle or a group angle, something like that. Well, for the longest time, betting NASCAR, it was just a given. You know, it's like a bet Mark Leishman at Torrey Pines or, you know, certain horses for courses, that kind of thing, or Webb Simpson, anything in Carolina. At Long Pond, the two guys you would always play were Hamlin and Kurt Busch. Now, that's kind of changed a little bit, but that being said, I'm still dumbfounded Hamlin does not have a win yet. Of the two races, I can certainly envision Hamlin winning one of those two races. You know, Kurt Busch is probably going to be a real nice juicy prize. You could maybe take a small flyer on it. But the thing I would watch for in the first race and it wouldn't necessarily be the guy, but you broaden it out that if a guy is contending, he wins or he contends and he falls just short, not only that driver, but you could look at that driver's teammates for the second race that, you know, they learn something in the first race and then it all becomes the setup and the package they employ in the second race. But I would not only look at the driver that contends in the first race, 
bleed it out to his teammates and maybe you get an overlaid price there. You know, and Pocono is really unique. I mean, it's it's part oval track. It's part road course because you've got that triangle format to it. I remember Chris Busher won here a few years ago and kind of threw a wrench into everything with the playoffs and all of that. So you can get some weird results here. I mean, we also may end up getting the new status quo and maybe Kyle Larson just goes ahead and wins this thing too, given that he's won four in a row if you include the all-star race. But I think this will be a week here where – you know, and, and I'm not going to talk about any specific prices or anything like that, but this may be a week where somebody off the board does win this race, where somebody does, you know, just run well, matter of circumstances, whatever else, maybe steals a playoff spot, something like that, gets some bonus points out of the equation, or Hamlin could win one, or Kyle Busch could win one. So, yeah, I think this is a really unique weekend for NASCAR. I think your better opportunities come on Sunday when you've actually seen what happened in the Saturday race. But certainly there'll be a lot to talk about for NASCAR betters this week. That track, man, I'm from Wilkes-Barre, which is like a half an hour from Long Pond. And I went to this race when I was a kid. I used to go to more of the indie races that were up there, which they really don't do anymore. But I got to tell you something. These, this is the most dangerous track on the circuit. You know, we were talking about Talladega and the, the big wreck. I'm telling you, you go down, that back stretch is unbelievable how fast they're going. And there's some bad things happen on the backstretch. But recently, the last couple of races that have been there, they used the brake so hard on the tri-oval. There must have been three or four guys in, in recent memory. I'm trying to think, did they go there last year with the pandemic? Oh, I'd have to check. I, think, I feel like they did because I, I feel like I remember that they had one of these doubleheaders planned on the schedule anyway. And I think that they went ahead and did it. But there must have been, I'm telling you, the, the most recent race I remember there, there must have been three or four guys, you know, when they're going down the length of that front stretch and you're going into turn one where bad things can happen. The guys completely lost their brakes going into turn one. And, I mean, that that's a scary, scary track, man. I mean, <laughs> these guys better mind their P's and Q's there. It's it's weird because there's not a ton of passing, really. The only passing that's done is usually done in turn one and turn three, of the tunnel turn, where guys can maybe you know dive, take a deep dive in there. But they, they get up to some serious speed on the front and back stretch. They are long stretch runs. June 27th and 28th last year at Pocono, Harvick won the first one. Hamlin won the second one. There you go. Eric Almirola actually won stage two and led the most laps in the first race, wound up finishing third in that one, fifth in the second one. So he's not having a great year by any means, but maybe a guy at one of those extreme long shot prices you take a look at. Uh, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing Hamlin's got to have five, at least five wins up there then if, if he won one last year because there was a stretch where he was winning, you know, every, well, there were two races a year. He was getting a, a win in two or three years in a row. So, I mean, Hamlin's a, is a horse for course guy there for sure. Kurt Busch won the first stage in the second race. Christopher <laughs> Bell with the top five finish in the first race. So as we talked about, you know, things kind of can get a little bit squirrely, a little bit weird uh, up at Pocono. So maybe Emmy Rolla, a guy that you want it's to take funny. a it's long funny, shot man. look at. Kurt Busch is going to be a long shot. I'm telling I'm, I'm telling you every year, it was just blindly bet Kurt Busch and Hamlin Hamlin won one of the races, and you're saying to me that Kurt Busch won one of the stages last year. It's amazing. Those guys just run well there. 
Yeah. I mean, guys just, they like courses. They know the racing lines. They feel comfortable there. I imagine that there's a certain element of confidence to it as well. So definitely an interesting weekend coming up here at Pocono Raceway. And it's always interesting when you tune into Sportsbook Radio or Vegas Hockey Hotline with Brian Blessing. And Brian, what's the best way for people to get those shows of yours? Follow me on Twitter at Brian Blessing. And let's see here. The best way, sportsgrid.com. And KSHP.com, if you're a hockey fan for Vegas Hockey Island, that's one Pacific. We're on 2 to 4 Eastern. Now, I'm going to throw a knuckleball at you, like out of the clear blue sky. Then, well, you're going to be on with us Thursday, for sure this week. And I might be calling on you to see if you're around today, too. Had a, had a late defection, but we'll see. Uh, but Brian Blessing on Twitter, and I love doing this stuff with you, bud, each and every week. Absolutely, man. Just let me know. Make sure you head over to our ATS YouTube page as well, where Brian did division previews for us of the NFL. That season, not that far away either. But uh, Brian, always a pleasure to chat with you, man. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again next week. Adam, always good, bud. When's the next time you're coming to Vegas? I don't know. Nothing planned yet. Hopefully soon, though. Let it cool off. You still owe me wings and beer. It's been been toasted. Well, you know, the problem is when you come to Vegas, you're – you know, you're running around a man in demand. You know, you don't have, you don't have time for a schlub like me. Everybody likes me out there. It's very, mm-hmm. very different from this area. Everybody likes me out there. <laughs> we'll talk soon, kid. All right, there you go. There's Brian Blessing again. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing and check out Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. I'll be back again on Thursday on the air with another edition of the Betters Box, my MLB betting podcast. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again on Thursday.